I call depression my dark little friend or my dark little bastard, depending on how bad it happens to be at the moment. I think I had to name it for it to be real. Naming it helped me accept it and become friends with it. To me, depression is like a moist fog that clogs my brain. It makes all thoughts disoriented and my feelings become hard to navigate. Depression is going to bed feeling good and then waking up at 2 in the morning feeling like your head is sewn to the pillow. When I come to the realization that my dark little friend has arrived and the hours, days, or weeks to come will be filled with self-doubt, a sense of being a worthless piece of shit, and insomnia, I want to withdraw in a deep hole or take a long walk in the woods and hide. I feel this way because I think that I don't deserve to be around anyone. I don't deserve happiness or love. And the people I love most will have to witness my suffering. That's when depression causes guilt because your suffering affects those around you and it's not fair to them. So the awful feeling of worthlessness increases. Depression can make me cry. As I picture myself as a once little blonde haired boy that was shy and withdrawn at times because his self-doubt was already sinking deep in his soul. I cry when I see the look in my wife's eyes when she knows my depression has visited me and she is a witness to my suffering. She hangs on until it lifts. I shed a tear when I have thoughts about how my death would be best for anyone around me. My wife, mom, brother, sister, nieces and nephews, and my students. I'm a burden that should be punished or exiled. I'm never certain how long depression will visit. It plays with my emotions like spring weather. When it finally lifts, I am thankful for how good I feel. It's like a rebirth, and I come out of the darkness charging ahead with life that a moment before seemed trapped in mud. Therefore, depression allows me to feel renewed over and over. One has to turn such things into a positive because of the alternative is too heartbreaking. As bad as depression can feel, and the mental and physical pain that it brings, I would never wish that I would not or that I would have been spared from it. Depression is a part of me and has made me stronger, building resilience in order to survive the darkness. It has been a great teacher, and I am a devoted student trying to learn as much as I can through each lesson, each moment. Hopefully, it has granted me some wisdom that I can pass on to others and help guide them through the relationship with their own dark little friend. All right, welcome to my podcast, Nothing to Prove. Uh, many of you have reached out after listening to um, some of my podcasts uh, that I've had in the past, and I do appreciate the the listeners and the followers. Um, and many of you have reached out and you've asked for me to talk a little bit about my own experience with uh, depression, anxiety, and trauma. Um, what I just uh, read to you was uh, from a blog post um, that I wrote. And uh, just um, a little bit of what depression is like for me. And I will say depression is, is different for everyone. It's something that... Um, you know, we we deal with in, in our own way. However, there's also many things that people that have depression um, deal with that that is very similar as well. Part of the reason that I 
have tried to be very transparent with my own um, depression and anxiety and, and some of my stories because uh, what I've noticed over the years is that when I do share, even though it feels extremely vulnerable, um, it's inevitable that people reach out to me and they've connected in some way and it makes them feel like they're not alone, uh, which is exactly why I speak up. I'm sure, you know, um, and these are some of the stigmas around it. I'm sure there are people out there that probably listen to some of my stories or they read the things that I've written, uh, maybe even the books that I've published, or they, they'll read that, and I'm sure there's stigmas around it, um, you know, with people with their own opinions or maybe thinking that I share too often or share too much. Uh, but again, um, what I've gotten as a result of sharing is people have said that it's really helped them. Uh, and if, if I can give a little bit of myself in order to help others, I'm willing to do that, um, no matter how vulnerable that does feel. Um, so again, you know, people have reached out, they asked me to share a little bit about my story and sort of uh, my own journey um, with, uh, with the depression, anxiety, and past traumas. And, you know, with that, um, I'll say that I started, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pretty positive looking, <clears throat> looking back on it that I've had depression most of my life. It's something that, um, you know, I've come to accept. I've come to accept some of the trauma that has happened to me. Um, I grew up in a, a household that I witnessed abuse, uh, verbal and physical, uh, but I also experienced a lot of it. Uh, much of it was behind closed doors or uh, when I was alone at home, you know, with my father, but uh, much of the abuse that I've experienced uh, was physical, emotional, and also sexual. And that was something, that lat latter part was something that um, I didn't really share with anyone until recent years. And it was um, something that it was very hard for me to come to terms with. Uh, to even tell my wife about who I've known since I was 13. Um, it was very difficult to talk to my mother about. But I found out that uh, once again I needed to be transparent, speak about these things in order for myself to start to heal as well. Uh, which is why I encourage people to speak up and talk and, you know, the hell with the stigmas. Um, depression, anxiety, uh, they are not weaknesses. If anything, it builds a, a strength like no other. When you have to push through the darkness, push through the, the fear and, and utter panic of anxiety, you build resilience, you build strength. Uh, when you when you start to accept things that are happening to you and decide that, you know, this is your life to live and you want to do something about it, um, it's important to uh, recognize those things, but they inevitably will build strength. And that's why I feel like people that are, are suffering or have suffered 
uh, with much of these, uh, the darkness, um, it does, it, it builds us up into, uh, uh, people that are very strong. And that's why I say the hell with the stigmas. You know, as, as I got a little older and, into high school, um, a lot of the physical and the sexual abuse ended, you know, I was, um, becoming too big for that to happen anymore, but the emotional abuse continued. And I did, um, I still, it, you know, depression back, you know, then in, in the eighties or whatnot, where it was not talked about as much as it is now. Um, I did have a teacher that brought it up to me that she did think I, I was depressed. She invited me into an AODA class that she was teaching, uh, because I was drinking a lot. Um, I did have a lot of suicidal ideation. Uh, I did make an attempt one time with some pills that basically didn't do much, made me sick. So I had no idea what the hell I actually took, but, um, that was when I was 16. And, you know, I, I was not a good student. Um, was very truant, did not care about my grades. Uh, school did not engage me whatsoever. And it was something that, um, you know, affected me quite a bit, you know, my self-efficacy, my self-esteem, everything was just lowered from those experiences. Um, I did have one thing going for me. I, I, I met a, a girl that was beautiful inside and out and, um, you know, I've been with her ever since and that has been the best thing that's ever happened to me in my life. And that actually her encouragement and her kindness and her love and her beauty all helped me navigate through some of those tough years. Um, but as I got into my 20s, you know, some of the trauma that I experienced uh, came undone. Um, we all tend to compartmentalize uh, our past or the, the things that we suffer from or make us suffer. We, we compartmentalize that. We put it in a box. We seal it up for our own survival. It happens quite a bit. For me, that, that box came undone when I was 22 years old. I found myself driving out to the house I grew up in with the intention of walking into the woods next to that house. And I was going to climb a tree that I climbed as a kid and I was going to end it all. But I got to that tree. I got to the base of it. I basically looked up, fell to my knees, gripped the soil as hard as I could, came up with dirt in my hands, and I hugged the hell out of that tree. I hung on with dear life because I tried my hardest not to climb up and do what I was going to do. And again, you know, my fiance, who at the time, who is now my wife, who was my high school sweetheart, her, her, the vision of her kept coming in my head, and I knew what I had to do. I had to walk out of that woods and go back to her. But I also, that was uh, one of the times that I started to tell her a little bit about what actually happened to me as a, as a child. Um... Now, as I tell these stories, you know, sometimes I, I, and it could be my own distortions and schemas or whatnot, but I, I've, 
I've heard people talk like this before, but you know, it's kind of like, well, you got to let those things go. You just got to let it go. You got to let your depression go. Just be happy. Um, forget about that. That's the past. It's not that easy. And this is why there's a lot of stigmas out there that are very, very harmful, especially to our young people who are trying to navigate their own depression, anxiety. Uh, it's very harmful to them. And so we got to get rid of that dialogue that you just got to let shit go. Um, or it's weak, you know, move on. You don't move on from depression. It's, it's something that you accept, you accept your trauma. And I will, you know, talk within either a little bit of this podcast, but future podcast, just like I do in my writings about building that resilience. Cause that's the key piece. But anyhow, I, uh, uh, when I was 22, that's when I was going through some pretty dark times, um, coming to some realities of what was happening, trying to figure out what, it, what I wanted to do. I had friends that were getting ready to graduate college, um, yet I was pretty stalled. I was trying to figure things out, and a lot of it was the past that I had was just suffocating me but I was able to pull myself up I kept moving through my 20s trying to figure things out did some random jobs here and there Um, and then when I became uh, 31 I found myself going back into one of the deepest depressions I've had in my life I went to the doctor. Doctor put me on uh, some medication for the first time ever. And to me, um, the medication did not work right away. I'm not anti-meds. If it works for people, it's done wonders for people. It's saved their lives. For me, the medication that he first put me on, at least, um, made my depression worse. And once again, I found myself uh, having some suicidal ideation. Um. I eventually found myself a therapist, and um, luckily, uh, well, I, I met him one time and decided, nope, can't do therapy, that's not for me, uh, weak people go to therapy, I can help myself. So I left him about six months later, things were getting worse and worse and worse, and I came back and found him, and I've been with him ever since, I've been with him for about 20 years. Uh, therapy has saved my life. It's something that um, has helped me. Um, you know, I look at it more as a consult these days. You know, as a, a sort of a life coach in some ways too, because he's helped me uh, coach me through many tough times. Um, but as I started to get further into therapy, I started to accept some of the things that were happening to me. I started to try to understand them. Um, tried to understand my depression a little bit more why I was having the thoughts I was having, uh, why I was feeling stuck in life, uh, feeling worthless often, um, like I was a burden to people, um, why it was often hard for me to want to stay in a job because I often felt uh, like I just wasn't good enough. Um, all these different things were compounding upon one another, and I, I, but I was starting to at least understand what was going on Um, but then in 2004, I 
went to pick a uh, my best friend at the time. I went to pick him up at um, a psychiatric unit of a hospital that he had to check himself into for his for his own suicidal ideation. And uh, I picked him up and took him home, dropped him off, had a good talk on the way home. Um, tried to spend a lot of time with him uh, throughout the next several weeks, uh, which he asked me to do. He told me he needed me more than ever. And I tried to be there for him. Um, and about six weeks after picking him up from the hospital, my wife and I had a trip, a road trip planned out to Vermont, and I thought he was good to go. So I left. I went out to Vermont, camping in the mountains. Uh, when I got down to a uh, uh, an area that had a little more reception at that time, at least, um, I got a call from my mother that told me my best friend had killed himself. As you can probably imagine, the shock that came to me at the time, I almost ripped off my fucking steering wheel. I was driving my Jeep at the time, uh, somewhere toward Lake Champlain. And um, I had to pull over. I was in a rage. Um, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. And I started to process it and went into immediate anger at him for what he did um you know uh, came back for his funeral and as i started finding out a little more information about um you know some events that led up to him killing himself my anger became worse and then i went into some guilt my own depression questioning my own worth, my own life, and why wasn't I there to save my friend. Uh, that guilt base basically lingered on for a good six years. Um, and then what I started finding was is that losses start to build up in life. And yes, my friend killed himself, and I realized there wasn't a damn thing I could have done about it. Um, yeah, that helped a little bit, realizing finally that I knew there was nothing I could have done to save him. And then um, my sister, my dear sister Charlotte, she also died suddenly. Um, hers was probably from years of buildup, but she had schizophrenia. Uh, she was also a person with an intellectual disability. Um, but she... Uh, uh, she had some sudden things happen to her health, and she uh, she passed away. A few months after that, another good friend of mine um, died by suicide by cop. He was also having his own struggles with his mental illness. Uh, started drinking, went into a rage, uh, decided to end it by um, pulling a weapon on police. And as these things started to sort of pile up, I started to realize, uh, and this was around the time I started to realize I need to start speaking up. I became an educator uh, during this period. 
Um, mainly be, uh, one of the reasons because my best friend told me that I should. He said to me one day, Chuck, you'd be make a great teacher or a school counselor. You need to go do something with yourself. And um, after he died, I did. I went back and I became an educator. And I, I still don't know if I'm very good at it, but what I do know is that I, I care about the kids and I try to build strong relationships with them. And I also have been taking the last several years speaking to them about um, depression and about anxiety because it's on the rise and it's affecting our youth quite a bit. And so with all these losses that have been happening, I had to start speaking up. And and this is what led to a lot of my uh, my writing. It's led to the two YA, no- YA novels that I've written um, and also some of the public speaking that I've done and also this podcast um, just to bring more awareness. Um, anxiety came to me a little bit later in life. Anxiety, uh, that... It's a little motherfucker anxiety is. Um, <laughs> anybody who has it, anybody who has anxiety or has been through panic attacks um, knows uh, just the turmoil that that can do to your mind and bring to you. It's an awful feeling, but that came to me a little bit later in life. Um, the first panic attack I ever had, I was flying out to uh, San Francisco and it was the first time I'd been back out there since my friend was shot by the police. And so I'm pretty sure that's probably what triggered the panic at the time. Um, and it was an awful feeling. I thought I was dying. And uh, it happened a couple more times while I was out on the trip. I decided to do some trail running over Mount Tam, um, drink a little red wine, and it helped. <laughs> but uh, uh, I came back, uh, talked to my therapist about it, and, um, you know, we identified it as anxiety and as panic. Uh, however, it went away for a few years. Uh, went away until um, I became a dean of students, um, trying trying my hat on with um, something different than teaching. And I loved being a dean of students. I loved working with the the, the kids and trying to help them navigate high school. Um, you know, doing the best I could with it um, and realizing, you know, in hindsight, yeah, I made some mistakes, wish I would have done a few things differently. But I also, um, my third year as a dean, uh, not only was I just getting burnt out with the position, burnt out with how much uh, sort of I was asked to do, you know, with trying to you know, work on behaviors within the school, but also, you know, uh, a few of the people that I was working with at the time, uh, you know, frankly, weren't as ethical as they could have been with some things that I've seen. And a lot of that has come out since. Um, But a lot of that was just draining me. Um, But the bottom line is, I also think a lot of my past traumas were coming back up again. And uh, I started getting uh, panic attacks that led me into um, the ER several times, getting EKGs hooked up to me. Um, I started noticing at work I was having symptoms of tingling in my hands, tingling in my face, 
blurred vision, headaches, chest pounding. Um, I was dizzy. I'd be walking down the hallways at school. The hallways started to move on me. It was pretty, pretty awful. Um, I was not convinced that I had anxiety, even though a couple of doctors identified it as such. I kept going back in the, the ER because I thought for sure I was dying. Uh, they started doing some blood tests on me. Everything kept coming back normal, but I was sure this could not just be anxiety, you know, just anxiety, um, that it had to be something else. Um, through that process, they started taking me through. Um, I started asking for more tests. They started taking me through many more tests, giving me an MRI. Uh, because the anxiety symptoms were so fucking bad that they actually um, were very much like uh, symptoms of MS or some other neurological symptoms that were happening. So they decided to give me an MRI. So folks, this is how bad anxiety can be. Um, I did get the MRI, found out I had benign uh, tumor. Um, you know, fucking great. That just <laughs> increased the anxiety even more. Then I had to start getting some endocrinology tests. I was sure something else, you know, that was the answer. That was why I had all these problems. But they assured me that I was okay. The benign tumor, we'll keep track of it. It's fine. It's not growing. It could have been there all my life. It's an incidental finding. So then I had to start accepting that as well. And I had to start accepting that I had anxiety. And that was a real son of a bitch to accept. And if I can just take a moment, here's what anxiety feels like to me. I'm in the middle of a lake. It's night and the shore is toying with me because each time I take a stroke forward, it moves further away. Reality comes that I'll never reach the shore no matter how hard I swim. My arms become heavy and my legs drag my body down from exhaustion. Suddenly, I cannot open my mouth to breathe and the air coming in through my nose is shallow and the air going out stops short of a full exhalation. The sensation makes my lungs feel like they will explode and my heart will stop. I struggle to tread water and then I scream but no sound comes out. It's all in my head. The more I fight, the faster I sink into the depths of the water. I'm drowning. Then I, then I relax and my mind releases me enough to breathe in deep and exhale slow and my nerves calm. The shore is suddenly there, sandy and close, and I can stand. I walk to solid ground and carry on for another day. There are other days when my anxiety is constant, is a constant chill through my body that makes every muscle tense, and I feel like I'll pass out because my head has been spinning all day. It's these days that my mind goes to places where I'm frightened, and I feel as if I may be going crazy. It's a consistent, dreadful feeling that rides my shoulders until I remember my breath and remind myself that I've felt this way before and will always survive. These are the moments when I build strength, realizing I'm resilient and will live another day, hoping to stay in the moment and enjoy life. Sometimes during those moments when it sneaks up on me and creates panic, I feel as if earth, if, if, as, sorry, as if the earth I am standing on is dropped out from under me. I can feel the adrenaline rush through my body to my eyes and things get blurry like I might pass out. I hang on for the ride. It's just a little reminder that even when I'm feeling calm, 
that it's still there, lingering in the depths of me, waiting to emerge and grin and say, here I am, motherfucker. Get ready for the ride. So to me, that's what anxiety feels like. It's taken me on a ride. There are, there are some days when I'm having 20 just quick bursts of panic uh, that keeps me awake at night, creates insomnia, which, again, compounds on itself and makes the anxiety even worse. Um, and through this journey, I have come to the conclusions of the research I've done, the readings I've done, reading Thich Nhat Hanh, No Mud, No Lotus, and many other things throughout the years, I have come to the conclusion that there's a couple of, of things with depression and anxiety and all the traumas uh, in our past that we may have. Is that one, we need to accept it fully. Acceptance helps to not deny it anymore and try to bury it or compartmentalize it. Because when we do that, it's going to rear its ugly head whether we like it or not. So why not accept it? Why not accept it with great curiosity and and try to find some worth from our own depression and anxiety? Again, that acceptance part is peace is 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 key and it brings peace to us. The other piece is impermanence. Uh, this is something that Thich Nhat Hanh has taught me. Um, the idea of impermanence that, yes, I might be having 30 panic attacks. I might be having really bad depression, um, insomnia, whatever it may be that's coming at me. That idea of impermanence is something that has helped me because I know that it will get better. I know that I may be suffering, but I also have been happy at times. I've also felt good. I've had joy in my life. That brings hope. And that's very, very strong because hope is what we need. And there's also this other piece that, and this is hard for people to to recognize sometimes or, or at least accept, is that we may have all the support in the world. We may have loved ones in our life that are there for us, that want to understand us, that want to accept us. We may have therapists that are there for us, that are helping us. It, it could be all the support that, that is needed, that is out there. However, until we are ready to build our coping strategies, to build our own resilience and help ourselves, we will not get better. And that's really hard for people to understand sometimes because they do feel stuck, and I totally get that. But it's just the truth that we have to build our resilience. We have to build our coping. And it will help us. Uh, building those coping strategies will help us more than ever um, because it is our life. We, we, we need to live it. We need to live it fully. And by practicing mindfulness um, and building up my resilience, I feel like I actually, in many ways, have started to enjoy life even more i live it i live it with uh, uh with gust I, I i i i live it with uh like my friend who who uh, died um a while back uh by suicide who gave me a uh 
uh, a sticker one time that said, live life like your ass is on fire. I try to live it that way. I live it by my own terms as well. Um, some have called me rebellious for this, but no, I, I need to live life the way I want to live it because this is my life to live. It's my one life. I'm going to take it for all it's worth. And and I want to to find a lot of joy from it. But to me, finding joy is, is in helping others. Um, there is no rush like it in the world, and that's why I share with you. That's why I share with, with uh, people through my writing, through my podcast, through my books. It's why I need to help. So that's why I'm being transparent today. That's where I will uh, will share in the future with you. Um, but for now... I'm going to leave you with this. You are not alone. Take care of yourself out there. Um, Remember, you are worthy. You are worthy of love. And you are worthy of love from yourself, too. You have to make yourself a priority. It's not being selfish. Because when you make yourself a priority, you are there and more available for others as well. So take care of yourself. Stay strong. Think about your your coping strategies that you need to develop, the things that, that make you whole, that make you feel better. It will help build resilience. And when you start to build that resilience, you will become extremely strong. You're going to have your, your tough days. You're going to have your tough moments. That's what depression is. That's what anxiety is. It, it brings on that suffering. But you got to build these strategies up while you're feeling good. So it becomes muscle memory. And I will make another podcast shortly to talk about coping strategies, to talk about resilience, at least things that work for me and things that um, I know have worked for others. And uh, I will share those with you shortly, and um, hopefully they will help. But for now, please take care of yourself. All right, thank you for tuning in to Nothing to Prove. I will talk to you again shortly. Be well.